0: Oh, man.
1: Good to have you with us here today. Welcome to you all. If you're a guest with us, my name is Brad. I'm the pastor here at Southview. And it's so good to have you with us today, worshiping the Lord. I want to begin our time together as everybody's starting to still kind of make their way in. I want to begin by reading some scripture for us. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. It could be you've gone your entire Christian life and never read the book of Micah. Today, you're going to get a verse. It's going to be great. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. This is a prophecy about Jesus. All right? It says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose is coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. The, the idea behind this, again, is a prophecy of Jesus and Jesus' birth. And, and the fact that God is selecting Bethlehem to be the, the place of his birth. And, and the interesting thing about Bethlehem is it's tiny, it's small, it's insignificant. It's not even big enough to be considered one of the clans of Judah, right? It's, it's a little speck of nothing in the middle of the desert, but God chose that place to be the birthplace of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Messiah, the Chosen One. And the idea behind that for us is I want us to see God takes small things and uses them to accomplish great and mighty works for his glory. We see this in the New Testament as well where Jesus says, you know, it's a mustard seed of faith, takes, you know, this mountain and throws it into the sea. Small acts of faith. So it may be for you here today, you're coming here today, and you don't feel like a giant in the faith feel kind of small and feeble and like you're not going to be able to accomplish very much, I want to encourage you. Let let Micah 5 2 be, be an encouraging word to you that God chooses the small and feeble. God chooses the seemingly insignificant of this world to accomplish great things for His glory. So today I want to encourage you. Stay firm in that mustard seed of faith and God is going to use that See mountains move for his glory. So I ask you to bow your heads for me. I want to pray for us as we begin our time together. Um, again, maybe you come in here today and you don't feel mighty and strong in the faith. Maybe you feel feeble and small. Today, I want you to set what you think about yourself aside and focus instead on what God says about you that is that by faith in christ you're a child of god you have access to the king and you get to grab a hold of the throne of grace and not let go to find help in your time of need that small mustard seed of faith is used by god to move mountains for his glory you don't need to be big god is big that's the point trust him trust him so father today we ask that you would raise up that kind of faith in us that kind of strong faith that trusts in you and not ourselves, your ability and our ability, your strength, not our strength, your might, not my might. We trust you with our faith to do God-sized things for your glory. Empower us today as we worship you, Jesus. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, let's stand, guys. Let's worship Christ together.
0: Good morning, church. Let's sing and celebrate. Celebrate Jesus the Christ. Let's sing together. Angels, we have singing over the plains and the mountains in reply echoing their joy it's why this jubilee, why your joyous strains prolong, what the sun tidings be, which inspire your heavenly song. Every war he wages, he will win. I'm not backing down from any giant. see a victory for the battle belongs to you i'm gonna see your victory i'm gonna see your victory is our God we have waited for him that he might save us this is the Lord we have waited for him let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation let us sing
1: We are Jason and Robin E.Byer, your IMB missionaries to a part of Thailand called Isan, where we serve as a part of a growing church planning team along with several other missionaries. We are currently in language study and building friendships with the purpose of sharing the good news of Jesus with the people of Isan. Because of your giving, we had the opportunity this December to share the meaning of Christmas. We did that in Christmas celebrations in different villages and communities all around us. During those celebrations, the love of Christ was shared, the Gospel was shared, and relationships were strengthened. Please pray with us for the seven new believers who accepted Christ during these Christmas celebrations. Thank you for giving to the Cooperative Program and the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. It is truly making a difference in people's lives, both here and in eternity. Uh, well, once again, good morning to you all. So this time of year, we take part in what is called the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. Uh, the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering is done every year by Southern Baptists to raise money for international missions. As you can see there uh, with those missionaries there in Thailand, this is an offering that you get to give 100% of it leaves our church. None of it stays in-house. It all leaves. You can go give this so that you can take part in, while you may not be in Thailand, you can take part in seeing missionaries serve in Thailand and see the gospel go out just like we saw right there. So I would encourage you to be in prayer about that, how you can give, what that could look for you. You can give online through our app, just designate it Uh, Lottie Moon or Christmas Offering, and same thing with our giving boxes. You can just write a check, mark it Lottie Moon or Christmas Offering, drop it in the offering boxes, and all of that will be sent off to the International Mission Board. So I want to take a little time this morning before we jump into the Word and uh, pray for that, all right? Pray for this International Mission Offering, the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering, and pray that God raises support for that and uses us by His grace to do it. So let's bow our heads and pray just for a minute. Um, Lord, we just thank you. We thank you, God, for your word. We thank you, God, that you um, God, you use people like us to accomplish your mission. I pray, God, that you would empower us, Lord, to give in a way that's generous and kind and gracious and sacrificial so that we can see the gospel go out. I pray, Lord, that we would... Um, See these offerings multiplied and much fruit come as a result, and we're going to be able to see people who came to know you in heaven because of money that we gave. So I pray, God, that you would empower us as we do that. We pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, hey, if you have a Bible, let's find First Corinthians chapter 6 together. All right, First Corinthians chapter 6. So if you're new here, Um, Let me kind of give you a heads up on sort of what we do, Um, and and if you're a regular person around here, you're a member, let's do a quick reminder. Uh, So I'm, uh, again, Brad, I'm the lead pastor here at Southview, and so one of my primary responsibilities is preaching teaching. Uh, So that means out of the 52 weeks of a year, um, about 45 of those weeks you're going to see me standing up here doing this, right? This is kind of one of the primary responsibilities I have as the lead pastor here at Southview. And as I stand and I preach here, the primary way that we do preaching and teaching here on a Sunday morning is through books of the Bible, right? That's the primary way we do that. Uh, we just finished 13 weeks in the book of Titus. We'll crank up another book in January. I'm not sure what it's going to be yet. You can pray for me about that. Um, everybody's already hit me up, giving me their suggestions. You're welcome to also. Um, Uh, So we'll do that in January, and that's probably 90% of what you'll see on a Sunday morning. That's the primary way that we do Bible teaching on Sunday morning. We do that for two reasons. One, I think that that, uh, preaching through books of the Bible is the best way to teach the whole counsel of God's Word, right? It's the best way to see all of what God is saying. And the second reason that we do that, quite honestly, is to protect you from me. Um, If... I didn't do it that way, and it was just me sitting in my office with a whiteboard going, what do I want to talk about? Right, And I'm sketching it out. That means I'm primarily just going to talk about stuff that I want to talk about. Um, I'm probably not going to touch any sins that may directly affect me, uh, right? Because I'm just going to have a natural, even subconscious bend toward a certain way. And so preaching through books of the Bible forces us to deal with stuff when we get to it, right? Like, oh, Women in head coverings. All right, I guess I got to preach on that today, right? And so it, it forces us to walk through things like that. And so that's the primary way we do that. It's about 90% of what you'll see on a Sunday morning. Now, we save about 10% of our teaching, preaching times on Sunday mornings to really go after and target big ideas that we think are important. and We need to talk about it in God's Word and really lay a good foundation for. All right? And that's going to be one of those days today. Uh, we want to today dive into God's Word and address the issue of uh, homosexuality and same-sex marriage. The reason that we're doing that today is because of the... Um, bill that was passed by the senate and the house and it's now waiting to be signed by president biden called the respect for marriage act which might be the most um, uh, uh, worst named bill in the history of america uh, because it's not actually respectful of marriage it's completely disrespectful and a spit in the eye uh, of marriage but we'll we'll get to that in just uh, a little bit Um, but real quick let me give you um, a little bit of a history and running start as to how we got here and what this means okay so way back in ancient times, way back when dinosaurs roamed the earth and people actually thought men were men and women were women, way back in the (laughs) mid-90s. In 1994, Congress, in a massive bipartisan support, passed a bill called the Defense of Marriage Act. And that bill was signed into office by President Bill Clinton. All right? Now, the Defense of Marriage Act basically said the federal government could not make states do same sex marriage. Right? Individual states uh, wanted to do whatever they wanted to do. That's fine. That's, that's what we do here. That's a republic. That's the deal. That's, that's our constitutional bargain. We understand that. If California wants to have same-sex marriage, they, they can, but they can't make Alabama do it, right? That's 1994 Defense of Marriage Act, and that was the law of the land until 2015. In 2015, there was a Supreme Court case. It's called the Obergefell decision, a Supreme Court case in which the Supreme Court decided that the 14th Amendment meant states were not allowed to stop same-sex marriage. So with that, that Supreme Court decision, in essence, the Obergefell decision, made same-sex marriage the official law of the land. If you were alive at that time, you may remember President Obama was the president at the time, and the White House was lit up in rainbow lights. If you remember that, you can Google it and find that picture. right? That was 2015, the Obergefell decision. So the Obergefell decision basically overturned 94, Defense of Marriage Act, uh, on the grounds of the 14th Amendment, um, and uh, which most conservative um, uh, legal scholars would say was a horrible decision. But anyway, um, so did that. So with that, from 2015, same-sex marriage has been the law of the land, right? It is in North Carolina. It is in every state in the Union. Uh, it is the official law of the land. So why did this past week Congress... With 12 senators and 39, uh, 12 Republican senators and 39 Republican representatives in the House, why did they pass the Respect for Marriage Act? If same-sex marriage is already the law of the land, it's already legally settled, it's already done, every state is required to do it, if that's already happening, why do we need this act? What does this act do? Well, two things. One, this act, what's called, codifies this into law. In other words, before it was just a Supreme Court decision, so sort of like Roe v. Wade, right? 50 years later, the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. Technically, the Supreme Court could, at some point, overturn the Obergefell decision. So this codified it into law so that that can't happen. But the second and more important thing is this, and this is where I want us to really dive into for a couple of minutes. Here's what the Respect for Marriage Act did. The Respect for Marriage Act is not about making the states do something. It is not about making the states do something. It's already a settled deal. The Respect for Marriage Act is not about making the state do something. The Respect for Marriage Act is about making you do something. It is about forcing you, under penalty of law, to endorse and celebrate and support this. It forces you to be okay and to support and not stand in opposition to same-sex marriage. This horrific law was, by the way, also voted affirmatively by both of your Republican North Carolina senators. Uh, Richard Burr is retiring. And all God's people said amen. Tom Tillis is still there, and, and he voted in favor of this. And again, I know you come to church, and we got this weird idea of separation of church and state that means I'm not allowed to say a thing. You misunderstand that. We can have coffee and chat if you'd like. But, but he needs to be primaried and kicked out. Like that, that's a thing that needs to happen. Um, now, he's banking on, he made a political calculation. He's banking on, he doesn't come up for re-election for four more years, 2026. He's banking on, by that time, you've forgotten about it. He's banking on by that time, there'll be bigger fish to fry. And he's banking on the fact that Republican states, uh, mainstays and authorities love an incumbent. So they're going to fight tooth and nail for him to stay in that spot. We need to pray that God raises somebody up to primary him and kick him out. All right, um, uh, He puts the con in conservative. All right, he, He's lying to you. He's just lying to you. And if any of you actually happen to be friends with him, I'd love a phone number so we can chat. He's just lying. One of two things. Either he's incompetent and doesn't understand basic things, or he's a liar. And there is no third option. That's it. Here's why. This Respect for Marriage Act, uh, Dr. Al Mohler, president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, says that this might be the most destructive bill against religious liberty in the history of our country. This bill just puts a giant, massive bullseye on the back of any Christian, any person, even if they're not a Christian, who would be opposed to same-sex marriage. Now, he's going to lie to you and tell you that he fought to put a part in this bill that's going to protect religious liberty. He's not telling the truth. At best, what that part in that legislation does, it gives some kind of vague uh, protection for churches, right? It gave some kind of vague protection for churches. However, here's what it means, though. The second you walk out the doors of this church, you are open for anything. It protects us in these walls, but the second you walk out, it is open season. If you bake cakes, if you are a florist, if you sing at weddings, if you are a photographer, if you are a caterer, if you rent a venue, if you are a lawyer that does um, uh, uh, family law, and you come to a situation where you go, I'm sorry, in good conscience, I I can't be a part of that. That that, that goes against my, my religious convictions. I can't do that. You're now open for lawsuit. What the Respect for Marriage Act did, and there's a very important little line in the Respect for Marriage Act. It says that it gives a private right of action in this. Here's what that means. Listen to me very carefully. What the Respect for Marriage Act means is, when this bill is passed, private right of action means, and it literally says this in the bill. Go look it up. Don't just read the headlines. You can go to congress.gov and read the actual bill. It says, the Attorney General of the United States of America now has the authority to bring civil action against you if you stand in opposition. You can be sued by the United States of America. If your child goes to a private school, Freedom Christian, Fayetteville Christian, Liberty Christian, this Bill, just put a bullseye on your child's school. I know we have a lot of Liberty grads here, college Christian universities and colleges. This bill, just put a bullseye on that. Best case scenario, best case scenario, churches are protected, but the second you walk out as a private citizen, you have a target on your back. That's best case scenario. The problem with it is this. As Christians, we understand you don't stop being a Christian when you leave church, right? That's what, that's what the politicians aren't grasping. They're like, what? As long as you're inside the four walls of your church, we'll let you believe your stupid things. No, no, no. It, it informs everything in my life. It informs how I do business. It informs how I handle my private life. It, it leads all of that. I don't stop being a Christian when I leave the four walls of this church. Best case scenario. Best case scenario, we're kind of protected as a church, but as a private citizen, you're not. Worst case scenario, and here's the bigger issue, when they say churches are protected, I just don't believe them. I just don't believe them. Here's why I don't believe them. The game is, they say, this is all we want, trust us, this is all we want, and then they always take a step farther. Right? Right? I mean, it used to be, we just want to do what we want in the privacy of our own homes. What does it matter to you what I do in my house? We just want that. That's all we want. Nothing else. Just the privacy to do whatever I want in my own house. Nothing else. And to that, society went, well, okay, sure, that makes sense. Yeah, you can have that. Then it was, okay, now we also want civil unions. We want that also. Wait, whoa, whoa, but I thought that was it. No, 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 it's civil unions, and then nothing else. We don't want anything else. We don't want marriage. We don't want anything else. We just want civil unions. I mean, we should be able to be in each other's will. We should be able to visit one another in the hospital. This is all we want, nothing else. Just give us this, nothing else. Okay, fine, you can have civil unions. That's great. Now we also want marriage. Wait, but you just, you just said you didn't want that. No, 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 now just, now just marriage. All we want is What does it matter to you who I marry? I'm not affecting your marriage. It's not changing your life. This is all we want. This is all we want. Just let us have this and this done. Just let us have this and it's done. Just let us have marriage. Well, keep on, you can have marriage. Great. Now you have to totally support it, and we're going to indoctrinate your children. What? Like, what? The point, words have meaning. When they call themselves progressive, what does that word mean? The word progressive means they believe in order for society to flourish, they must constantly progress and change. That is the point. They believe the whole point of everything is to constantly move and constantly change and constantly progress. And in order to do that constant progression, they have to bowl over everything in opposition. That's why they come after family. That's why they come after marriage. And that is why they will come after church. It is inevitable. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. You have... From the government side pushing in, from society we're pushing in on this. According to the latest research, over 20% of Gen Z, right, which is sort of middle school, high school, young adult, 20% classify themselves as some variation of LGBTQIA. 20%. If you have. If you know a teacher or an administrator in a public school, just ask them. Just ask. They'll tell you. I had one come up to me after the first service, and he said, man, it is crazy. Crazy. Kids just show up every day with like a different thing. It's constant. What's happening is our society is pushing in on our children, and this is the point. They, in order for society to fully endorse and accept a thing 20 years from now they have to get your children today that is the point they want to indoctrinate the children and i know that is very unpopular and i can't wait for this to go viral and get all the awesome email but that is the point point. 20 percent And it's usually something random. It's not as cut and dry as I'm a boy and I like boys, and I'm a girl and I like girls. It's like, no, I'm a cat. What? Right now, Facebook, Facebook has over 80 different gender options you can choose from. Over 80. You're just making stuff up at that point. Which again, everything's about the Bible. Romans chapter 1. You know what Romans chapter 1 says? There will be inventors of evil. Like it's in the Bible. right? Not just being evil with the same stuff we've been doing for centuries. No, we're going to make up more stuff. The Bible literally refers to people as inventors of evil. What else do you call organizations that create dozens and dozens and dozens of identities your child can choose. And this is the point. This is the point. Not only that, there's a massive push, not only to, to, to grab the children to be supportive of this, there's also the point, in order, here's the way this thing works. They want to get your children to be supportive, and they want your children to view you as the enemy because you're opposed to it. So, much effort is made to demonize those who would stand in opposition to this. Case in point, what happened in Moore County? You tracking with that? So, Moore County, someone came in and shot up the power grid and knocked down the power grid for half the county. The Fayetteville Observer papers in raleigh charlotte abc nbc cbs cnn every single one of them like someone sent them a press release and said make sure you say this every one of them as they're describing what happened every one of them said you know one of the possible theories is there was a drag show in southern pines so I bet a bunch of Christians got together and went in, you know, SEAL Team 6 style and took out the power grid. Right? Because clearly that's the most logical conclusion. Surely that's what happened. But if you read these stories, you got to get down to like paragraph eight before they finally, every one of them say, no, actually, there's zero evidence to link these two together. But maybe. Why are they doing that? In unison. Why are they doing that? Because the goal is to demonize anyone and everyone who doesn't say, I totally agree, I totally agree, it's awesome. So you have the government pushing in, society pushing in, media pushing in, all of these things happening. And what I want you to understand also is all of these entities and individuals, even though they're pushing in on this, they're not the enemy right? Ephesians 6 is going to say we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against powers and principalities, demonic forces of evil. They're not the enemy. Even though they may think you and I are the enemy, they're not the enemy. Satan is the enemy and he needs to be the focus. We want to see this brought down in the heavenly places so that it can be on earth as it is in heaven. So how do we do that? Well, when everything starts to shake, if you start to lose your balance, you reach out and you try to grab something to steady yourself, yes? Same thing with this. When the world is shaking, we got to reach out and grab something. And so what I want us to understand is, as this world is shaking on this topic or any other topic, we want to reach out and grab God and His Word. That's what steadies us, okay? So, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9, 10, and 11 is going to be our scripture for today to kind of provide a little... Thought to this, all right? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So what I want to do as we go through this scripture is I want to give us six things. All right? Six things sort of truths to build a house on so we can have a stable foundation on this because everything is coming at us, everything is shifting and changing, and the ground is moving underneath our feet, and so we've got to have some solid foundation to build a house on here, right? So six big rocks to be our foundation, all right? First is this. Let's start basic. The practice of homosexuality is a sin that keeps you out of the kingdom of God. All right, let's just start at basics. Right, homosexuality is a sin. It is a sin. And if you have a a copy of the word there, you see there in verse 9 it uses the word practice, the idea of living out this thing. 1 John is going to say those who practice sin will not be in the kingdom. This is the same word here. Those who practice homosexuality will not be in the kingdom. The idea is a lifestyle. The idea is this is who I am. I'm living this. Those who do that cannot enter the kingdom, cannot be saved. There's no such thing. There's no such thing as someone who lives in ongoing homosexuality and is at the same time a Christian. like Those two things don't go together. Like you, you can't be a practicing homosexual Christian. You can't be that. And I know that that is super-duper, uber-controversial, I understand. But if we can't, as Bible believing Christians, agree on the basics, we got nothing. We got nothing. Those who. Live in this sin cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Just like those who live in drunkenness cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Those who live in sexual immorality, those who constantly look at pornography, cannot at the same time call themselves a Christian, right? Those who live in sin cannot inherit the kingdom of God. The point of Christianity, and we'll see this as we go through the text here a little further. You're changed, you're different, you're new. That's not who you are anymore. You can't claim an identity and a lifestyle from sin and at the same time say you've been changed by Christ and been made new. You can't link those two together. Now, I know in doing this for a couple of decades, there are a lot of questions that come up when I say something like that. People will say things like, well, I've always felt like this. I've always felt like this. Since I was small, I knew something was different about me. I've always been this. I've always felt this. It's God to be who I am. Well, a couple of things about that. Number one is this. Um, just because we think children should be off limits for doing something evil, doesn't mean Satan thinks that. Does that make sense? And I fully believe That Satan places those seeds of homosexuality and confusion in these small children. And I would say this, that question of, well, I feel like I was born this way. I mean, to some degree, you're kind of right in that every one of us is born in sin. Right? We're all born sinners. We're all born in rebellion against God, and that sin and rebellion starts to manifest very early. How young was your kid the first time they lied to you? Right, your three-year-old with fourteen cookies crammed in their mouth and crumbs all over their face. Did you eat a cookie? <laughs> That's young, man. Well, gosh, it's like it just came flying out of their heart. How old was your child the first time they, sm- you got a phone call from preschool, right? So Timmy bit another kid because they wouldn't give him a toy. What? Like, where do they get that from? They don't learn that at home, right? You're not sitting on the couch with your wife, right? You want to watch football and she wants to watch, you know, say yes to the dress or whatever, right? you like, I want the remote. She's like, no, I want the remote. You just reach over and bite her. You don't do that. Your child didn't learn that behavior. What happened? Children, children are born sinners. They're born sinners. And sometimes that sin manifests out in anger. And sometimes that sin manifests out in gender confusion. It's still sin. It's still rebellion against God. And Satan plants those seeds very early in a child's life so that they i mean for you you could easily go gosh i feel like i've always been a sinner yeah because you have so when someone says gosh i feel like i've always been this way I, I i don't go that's not true i totally believe that but the reason isn't because god made you like that the reason is because you were born in rebellion against god and that's how it manifested out in your life homosexuality is a sin and the practice of homosexuality is a sin that will keep you out of the kingdom of God. You can't be saved. It's not possible. Because that's true, that brings me to point number two. This kind of dives in a little bit on specifically the issue for us today. Since the act of homosexuality is a sin, same-sex marriage cannot exist. I'll say from the first service, This is the one point that got the most pushback, so let me chat for a second. I am not saying that it should not, it ought not, or golly gee, we hate that it is. I'm telling you, according to the Bible, it doesn't exist. It doesn't matter what the government says. It doesn't matter what piece of paper North Carolina gives you. It doesn't exist. Now, no doubt there are two individuals who are together and went through a ceremony and got a piece of paper and they're deemed married, but according to the Bible, it's going to tell you same-sex marriage cannot exist. God created it, God designed it, God defines it, and no one gets to take it and change that. It just is what it is. Um, I'll borrow some words from John Piper on this subject. John Piper says the point here is not only that so-called same-sex marriage shouldn't exist, but that it doesn't and it can't. Those who believe that God has spoken to us truthfully in the Bible should not concede that the committed lifelong partnership and sexual relations of two men or two women is marriage. It isn't. God has created and defined marriage and what he has joined together in that creation and that definition cannot be separated and still called marriage in God's eyes. Here's why this is a big deal. Okay, I want you to listen to me. Whoever controls language controls the narrative, and whoever controls the narrative will eventually control society. Language matters. How we define words matters. This is not an issue. This is why I made this a whole point. This isn't something we can go, you know, we disagree with it, but yeah, that's what it is. No, we have to stand firm. Whoever controls the language controls the narrative. Whoever controls the narrative will control society. So we have to say, no, that is a man and that is a woman, and you don't get to swap. No, this is marriage, and that's not marriage. We have to hold firm to the definitions and say, no, this is the line of the sand, and we will not cross it. And society is pushing hard for this. In fact, um, the most recent addition to the Supreme Court, um, Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson, in her Senate confirmation hearing, was asked by the senator from Tennessee, um, what is a woman? Did you get this? You Google it. All right, fascinating. She, so, Justice Katanji Brown Jackson, an obvious, brilliant woman, well educated, made it to the Supreme Court. She was asked, What is a woman? You know what her answer was? I don't know. You know what else she said? I'm not a biologist. <laughs> how, can, how can I make that determination? I'm not a biologist. The point is this, for Justice Jackson, do I think that she genuinely doesn't know what a woman is? No. I just don't believe that. I think she's lying. I don't believe her. But as a part of the progressive movement, she understands whoever controls the language controls the narrative. Whoever controls the narrative will control society. So you got to make sure the language is right. So who am I to say what a woman is? I don't know. Who are you to say what marriage is? Bigot who are you to do that? Hater. Right? You can't just decide this is and that isn't. That's mean. That's intolerant. Another word radically redefined. Remember when tolerant used to mean we disagree but we don't kill each other? Now what does tolerant mean? You have to totally accept me. And if you don't, you don't love me and you're intolerant. If you can control the language, you can control the narrative. And if you can control the narrative, you can control society. You see this in your families, right? If any of you have ever been in really really toxic, bad, abusive relationships, don't they just radically redefine all the words? I'm not the problem, you're the problem. I'm not the one doing this, you're doing it. If you wouldn't make me do it, I wouldn't have done it. Right? We can see this in our own lives. When they change the language, you start to get sucked into that stuff. You're like, well, gosh, maybe, it, maybe I need to change. Maybe I need to be different. Right? It totally changes your family. If you love me, you would accept me. And gosh, you, don't want, you want to accept your kid. You want to show your kid you love them. You want to show your kid you support them. Well, gosh, maybe we should. Maybe that is loving. We have to. To hold the line here. It is not marriage, and we will not pretend that it is. We will not play the game. We will not let them radically redefine words that we've all known what meant for years. You don't get to do that. If you want to play that game, that's fine. We don't jump in and play with you. Nope. Words have meaning, and we hold to this. Homosexuality is a sin, it's a complete perversion of God's design. And as a result of that, so-called same-sex marriage can not exist. doesn't matter what they do or what they call it. It doesn't really exist in God's eyes. Uh, next, as we're thinking about this idea, and kind of the rubber meets the road for us a little bit in our individual lives, point number three, speaking the truth about homosexuality is the most loving thing you can do. This is the most loving thing you can do because it's at the very heart of the gospel. What is the gospel? The gospel is God looking at you and saying, You're wrong, and I love you, and I've made a sacrifice to save you from your sin. Right? That's the point. The point of the gospel is, Yo, you're wrong. You're a sinner. You're a rebel against God. You're a hater of God. You've made a God of your own life and a God of your own imagination. And you've run away from the true God. But he loves you, so he sent his son to die in your place. This notion that loving someone means you can't ever say you're wrong is crazy. The whole point of the gospel is built on this idea. You're wrong, and God loves you. So he can speak truth and speak it in love. And listen, I am not standing up here as random preacher guy yelling about stuff. I I have people who live in homosexuality in my family. In my family. I have people who are currently living together as a homosexual couple. My family. We're going to do Christmas together in a couple weeks. I don't stand up here as some guy off in a distance. Hey, here's how you need to I'm living this thing. I'm in the same boat. So what do we do? We do love them. We love them. We buy awesome Christmas presents. And we show up. And we talk to them. And we're genuinely interested and concerned in their life, And we genuinely care about them for people, as people. And as the conversation comes up, They obviously know where we stand, and we're not going to change that. This is the truth. This is what God's word says, and we cannot be moved from this. We speak the truth in love. You've got to be able to say, this is the whole point of the gospel. Yes, you're wrong here. You're just wrong. But it doesn't change the fact that God loves you, and he wants to set you free from that. He wants to set you free. Uh, also, kind of this idea of, of, again, relationship is another point to, to understand. Our next point, uh, homosexuality is not the worst of all sins and should not be treated as such. If you go back to that uh, 1 Corinthians 6 passage, there are eight different sins listed there. And homosexuality is not given prominence. It isn't listed first. It isn't listed last. It's sort of an exclamation point. Oh, yeah, this one really. It's just... Stuck there in the middle? It's one of the sins. We cannot, and this is one of the things that churches have done wrong. We have treated homosexuality as if it is some worse sin. Because it's something that you or I may not personally struggle with. It's easy to stand at a distance and and point a finger. and, and, And as the church as a whole, we haven't always done well with that. But we've got to understand, we've got to have it settled in our hearts that that sin is not any worse than any sin Jesus had to save me from. It's not any worse. So the question that will come as a result of that statement is, well then riddle me this, Pastor. Why are you spending a whole sermon on it then? If it's not the worst of all sins, and all sins are the same in God's eyes, if that's all the truth, Why are we doing this right now? Because this is the unique sin that is being uniquely crammed down our throats. This is the unique sin that they are seeking to shape all of society by. This is the unique sin that they are seeking to bring legitimate civil action against you if you dare stand in opposition. If they were doing that for theft, right if congress passed a bill like you know what theft is now fine not a big deal go into your neighbor's house take all their stuff and if they stand in your way they're intolerant if that was happening we'd open the same passage up and i'd focus on the first word in verse 10 thieves but it's not What's being pushed towards us, what's being pushed at us, the agenda that we are being all expected to jump into is this one. And so we got to take a step back on days like this and say, look, guys, here, here's what God's Word says. We've got to stand true to it. And so what's our answer? The answer is the same as everything else. The answer to homosexuality is the same as the answer to every other sin, the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see that in verse 11. So after he lists all these sins in verses 9 and 10, he gets to verse 11 and says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. He's talking about the gospel here. It's like, look, God has set you free through faith in Jesus Christ. You've been washed clean. You've been set apart from your sin. You've been made one and right with God and justified. You are new in Jesus Christ. That's the point. The gospel is what sets us free. So this is going to be our focus. The gospel for all sins, the homosexuality and anything else, the answer is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The answer is not trying to get gay people to not be gay. That's not the point. The point is we want all people who are in rebellion against God to see the glories of God and the sacrifice of Christ on their behalf and turn to Him in, uh, in faith and be set free from their sin. For everyone, it's an identity issue which I will say is something that, again, makes this particular sin a little unique. Because in every other sin, and maybe you've experienced this, seen this, in every other sin, there's this separation between who you are and what you do, right? So most people would say, no, I'm not a liar. I just lie sometimes, right? No, I'm, I'm not a drunkard. I just get drunk sometimes. No, no, I'm not sexually immoral. I just have sex with people I'm not married to sometimes. The focus is on the act, not the identity. That's not who I am. No, no, no. No, 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 no. This is just something I do sometimes. For homosexuality, I want you to notice it's flipped. For homosexuality, it's not about just something that you do. It is deeply ingrained in who they are. As you talk to people who are struggling with this sin, what are they going to say to you? This is who I am. If you tell me I can't do this, you're telling me I have to deny who I am. This is my identity. This is how I was born. This is how I was made. I can't help that. It's just I do this thing because it's who I am. And the answer is they need a new identity. They need a new identity made by Christ. So they're washed clean and made pure. The answer is the gospel. And so we're going to keep proclaiming the gospel, which brings me to my last point and i'm gonna ask our band to come up the focus of southview baptist church will not will be on the gospel and not politics the gospel and not politics well okay brad well you spent the first 15 minutes talking about politics okay that was kind of a springboard but the answer isn't that the answer isn't better legislation the answer isn't getting better people in office that's not the answer The answer is the gospel, and that's the only drum we have to beat. That's it. We've got one drum beat, Jesus Christ and his gospel. That is it. That's all we have. That's all we do. That's all we know. We just keep pushing Christ, Christ crucified, because, hey, that's the only thing that can't be changed. It doesn't matter what law Congress passes, they can't put Jesus back in the tomb. And it doesn't matter who sits in the Oval Office. Christ sits on the throne. And he's the one who died for our sins in our place so that we can be made new. And so we proclaim that truth to the entire world so that they can be made new as well. Our focus is the gospel. And that is it. So what about for you? As we've talked about these issues today, I want to end by focusing instead time on us individually. You on yourself, me on myself. Do you and I live lives truly changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ? We're different. We're changed. We're not like who we used to be. Reading again this passage, 1 Corinthians 6. Think about this. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, which is such an important word. It's easy in all of this to get tricked by society, by Satan, by the world, by our own desires and lusts in our hearts, to get tricked and deceived. And he's having to warn us here don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. The point of those first couple of verses there is to one, remind us that these people need Christ, and second, to remind us of who we used to be. Do you see yourself in that list? I do. This is who I used to be. This was my life. But what happened? Verse 11. And such were some of you. We all were in that list in some way, shape, or form. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. I want us to spend some time today finishing up band is going to sing we're not going to ask you to stand i want you just to stay seated and just pray and meditate focusing in on the glories of jesus christ who he is and what he has done for you jesus we love you you have saved us you have changed us Pray also for those in your life that you may know and love that need to experience the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Tonight, Tonight, let yourselves in by just focusing and soaking in on the glorious grace of God that saves sinners like us. And pray fervently that God will do that in the lives of many others as well. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We love you we love you because you first loved us and even though we were rebels and sinners you came for us you pursued us you saved us Jesus I pray for us today that one for us personally will take some time and let our hearts just get soaked up in who you are and the amazing grace that you poured out on us. And I pray, God, that you would empower us to proclaim that good news to the world around us. We ask you, Jesus, that you would keep saving, keep saving, keep saving. We love you. We need you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Glorified in us as we are changed into your image for your glory. We pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, uh, before we go, real quick, a couple of announcements for you. One, if you are a guest with us, welcome again to you. We'd love to connect with you. Best way you can do that is grab your cell phone and text the word connect our number on the screen. But for everyone, we've got a few announcements we think will be important for all of us. Uh, One is this, Every Man a Warrior. This is a Bible study for men that we've been doing for uh, a little over a year now. We're going to crank up some more groups in January. It is phenomenal. It's one of the best men's ministry small group material I've seen. It is amazing, Uh, and and this has potential to be really life-changing. It's just grounded in God's word and holding one another accountable to be in God's word and to live according to God's word. Uh, We're going to crank up some more groups again in January. There's going to be an interest meeting for that as soon as we're done here. Uh, Right after this service in our multimedia room, Would you go out either door and head that direction and you'll hit the multimedia room. Um, I encourage you. I think every guy needs to at least consider being a part of one of these groups, all right? At least consider it. It's not going to be right for everyone. It's not going to be the right time of the year for you, busy. All things are going to happen, but I think every guy should at least consider it and see if that's something that God wants you to do. Interest meeting directly after the service today. If for whatever reason you can't be a part of that interest meeting, you got to go, you can't stick around, come find me and I'll direct you to who you need to talk to to find out more about it, all right? But I encourage all guys to at least consider being a part of that, every man a warrior. Second, missions. we got a mission team heading out to Hungary. That's going to be May 26th through June 6th, and we have an interest meeting on January 8th for that. So remember that. Be a part of that meeting on January 8th. Also, starting in the new year, we're cranking up a new round of what we call equip classes. These are classes that teach sort of the big ideas of the Christian faith. Uh, Short term, 8, 10, 12 weeks, going through the big ideas and truths of the Christian faith. So we have some starting up this year. Uh, Journey into God's Word. We're going to teach you how to read your Bible. Um, How to experience new life in Christ. How do you just live this and experience the new life that Jesus has given you? Created to be a helpmeet that's for ladies to learn how to be a biblical wife. And then also instructing a child's heart for parents how to lead your children in a godly way biblical way. If you want to sign up for any of those, you can text EQUIP to our number. uh, 910-424-1298. Text EQUIP for that. And then lastly, new member classes. Cranking up uh, in uh, January. Had an amazing round of new members classes uh, in 2022. I think we had... uh, Just shy of 100 folk go through our membership process. Praise God for that. So we're cranking up a new round in 2023 in January. There's three Sundays in a row, 15th, 22nd, and 29th. You can sign up for that by texting member to our number to get plugged in and ready for that membership class. And then any other announcements, whatever we have, download our app iTunes or Google Play. You can get uh, plugged in that way to know any other announcements. Give online or give in the giving boxes as you leave. Whatever works best for you. All right, Hey, let me pray for us and let you go. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that your word cuts, but heals. So I pray, God, that we would give ourselves to your word and trust you in your word and be changed by your word. We love you, Jesus. Thank Thank you for making us new. this in Jesus name. Amen. God bless you guys. I love you. Have a great week.